This is Burton Chawla, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. Slam, we really followed. We set no trends in terms of type of media. We set trends with our content. We were like late adapters. We followed the audience. We didn't create a new medium. We followed the mediums. Like there was nothing revolutionary about making a magazine. We just did it different. Welcome to the Black Box Podcast. I am your host, Burton Chawla. This is a conversation with industry leaders in the sports, music, and entertainment business. We have a media mogul with us today, the head of content uh, for Just Women Sports, my good friend, Ben Osborne. Prior to Just Women Sports, he was at Fox Sports and Bleacher Report. You probably know him from Slam, the longest tenure editor-in-chief in Slam's history. I didn't know that until today. And Ben, how long have I known you? 22, 23 years, something like that? You, you tell me. I mean, I, I was at Slam since 97. When When did you get in the door there? 1999. I was a junior in college. So 22 years. Something like that. I know, right? We're getting old. Yeah, it's really wild. It's wild. Um, And we were reminiscing on stories, and we'll get into that um, during this conversation. But appreciate the time. Want to hear a lot about Just Women's Sports, because I think it's fair to say we are going into a very interesting and well-needed, or much-needed, rather, time where women's sports is getting the shine that's long overdue so tell my audience the audience about what just women's sports is and then like how'd you get there yeah um i mean it's it's a very exciting place and our our founder Haley rosen is is really inspiring and her goal is pretty simple i mean it's not even that original when you think of all the men's sports sites there are but it's just cover these people as the amazing athletes that they are. This isn't about guilt or feel good. You know, some sports comes with that, but this, we're not trying to guilt anyone into following. We're not trying to make inspirational content per se. We're trying to treat athletes like athletes. Um, Obviously, you know, ESPN is kind of synonymous with the homepage for sports in many ways. And so even if it's a cliche, I, I think we aspire to be the ESPN of women's sports. And they, they cover it on the side. ESPNW right. is great content, but it's not the focal point of the company. You know, we have a scoreboard. We have a what to watch guide, like very basic information that is plentiful on the men's side that is hard to find on the women's side. So we want to be really the go-to source for WNBA, NWSL, Olympic sports, WTA, LPGA. I mean, there's great sports happening every day and it's hard to find them. So we want to be relatively comprehensive with our information you know, really provide a service to the fans that have been underserved for a long time. And then there's extensions off of that. I mean, we have great podcasts. Obviously, these athletes have personalities. We're not, we're super interested in what they like off the field as well. But this is not a lifestyle site. This is not, again, an inspirational site. This is a sports website. We just happen to cover only women's sports. But that's really, you know, again, it's like, it's not like that creative, but no one else is doing it. You know, in yeah, every I, other I, place, there's like a tone or it's secondary, right. like, no, just come. We got, we've got the information. We've got the analysis. Now we're talking about gambling. You know, now we're talking about MVP awards. Like just 
the, all the stuff that we've been seeing for men's sports for really our whole life, but certainly in the digital age and just providing that comprehensive service for women's sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I started with underserved, or you used the word underserved, I said long overdue. Um, and you're saying this is not like reinventing the wheel, but it's something that's not, it's a missing part of the space. And I guess what I wanna hear is, and without giving away too much proprietary information, like the genesis from like, you know, starting this thing and then how you got people to, I, I know you weren't involved necessarily in the investor part of it, but like how people came behind this and backed this up, right? Like I'm sure it was, it was, it was more thoughtful than we're the ESPN for women, right? Totally. I mean, I, I have to, you know, maybe someday you, you could or should have Haley on. She could speak to the genesis of this. Right. I mean, it was an Instagram account and a, and a self-titled podcast that she got Kelly O'Hara to host. It's the Just Women Sports podcast, but it's, yep. it's Kelly O'Hara, who's a you know, great player. It actually launched uh, yesterday, was the first episode of, this, of the new season. But um, Haley was a college soccer player, briefly a pro soccer player, and just frustrated by all these things that were lacking. And so she started it. She started to get some following. She got a little, you know, early seed money, got two or three employees. It was really just other Stanford grads that she was friendly with. Um, and then, I mean, they weren't really on my radar till after I lost my job at Bleacher Report last November. Um, she had she had brought someone on that I'd worked with at Bleacher Report who, you know, they needed kind of editorial strategy. So I was between jobs. I talked to them about what a good website could look like, yeah. what it costs to, you know, pay editors, pay writers, um, and just kind of said, like, if you can afford a head of content, a chief content officer, like, I'd love to chat more. Um, then I got a job at Fox. I was I was working there, but I did see the news like in May that they'd raised three and a half million dollars. Like I wasn't in those meetings. I don't know exactly how she did it. She's very I mean, look, on one hand, it's like like you and I are already saying, if you get if it if a light bulb goes off for you, you get it. It's like yeah, yeah you're right. I like women's sports, but on every other site I have to click three pages over to find it. Yeah. So it's it's not like that groundbreaking. That said, obviously no one else is doing it. She's also just compelling and passionate. And, you know, there is a movement happening, I think, yep. where there are budgets dedicated to this. And and that's great. And and she, I, the the whole team, like we don't look down on any place that's covering it in any way, but I think there's a certain tone around a lot of women's sports coverage that she's just not trying to be a part of, nor does she present it that way to advertisers or investors. It's like, this isn't a flash in the pan. This isn't a social movement per se. You know, I mean, I guess if the act of women being equal athletes is revolutionary, but it's not about that. She just wants, she knows how great these people are. She, particularly on the soccer side, she's been around them, but I think anyone that has competed at the elite college and, you know, even low pro level knows what that takes across sports. So this is about just respect for athletes and, and covering them and, and knowing that there's, you know, there's trade rumors, there's gossip, there's all, all of the things that are peripheral to men's sports. Those things happen in women front office intrigue, salary cap issues, like that's right. happening just on the women's side yeah. too. We yeah, just, right. no one else is talking about it, but we, we think that there's an audience for that. So yeah, the, the fundraising predates me, you know, there'll probably be another round of that. 
TBD if I'm a part of it. But, um, you know, so at least I knew about it, you know, before I got my last job, was rooting for them, started following them on social, listening to the pod. And then they called me in June and, you know, they were ready to, I'm sure part of the fundraising was like, we're going to staff up. And so I was certainly a pretty big hire. And even since me, you know, we hired a supervising producer, so a lead video person. That's we great. hired a, a director of social strategy that just started this week. So, you know, my first job was kind of to help build out the team a little bit. So, like you said, excitement, and I think so. I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying. I think there is a movement here, and I think this, this is a part of that movement. Even if Haley's not like this is like what I'm trying to accomplish. I think anytime. It sounds silly to say it like this, and you know me enough to know like this is where I stand with a lot of these social issues. But like, it sounds silly to say it like this. But like, anytime you're asking for uh, equality, I mean, first of all, it's fucked up that you even have to ask for it, right? Anyone, right? Whether it's race relations or sexuality or um, you know, men and women, all that stuff. It's fucked up that you have to ask for it. But anytime you ask for it, that, that's part of a movement, right? Like, like, and not just ask for it, push for it, right? And I think, here's my viewpoint of, of the audience for women's sports. Because now I'm becoming part of that audience, right? And, and if I'm speaking plainly here and honestly, like, I don't know if I ever was, right? Like, I, I definitely don't consume the WNBA the way I consume the NBA. But that's not fair. I don't consume anything the way I consume the NBA, right? So, um, but I'm watching more and more, like the Olympics was a great example. I probably watched more women's sports during the Olympics than I did men's sports. And I don't know where that's coming from for me. I haven't really analyzed it, but I hear it. It's loud on social media. There are a lot of people, women particularly, but men as well, rooting and shouting and saying, we got to support and consume the same way we consume men's sports. So I see a movement. And then from my perspective, from a from a marketer or a branding perspective or a person who deals with brands, they're spending money, yeah. right? Like Michelob just dropped $100 million, right, into women's sports. I spoke to a brand manager yesterday who specifically writes checks for sports. And what she said to me was, go find me some women's sports. Like, go, like exa <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll talk afterwards. Um, but... I see a movement here and I don't know if this is, you know, I talk a lot about this because I've had some frustrations with a lot of Fortune 100 brands because they talk the talk when it comes to racial equality, but don't always walk the walk. So I'm curious if, if the brands are just throwing money at it or if they're going to walk the walk. But I, I more importantly, I want to hear like from you, like, okay, you're there, you're excited. What excites you the most from a, you're, you're the head of content, you're running a content team. You ran Slam. And I, and I know you, Ben, you were excited about Slam every fucking day. I'm yeah. sure there were days you were like, fuck this. But like, you know, it's Slam, right? It's basketball, it's culture, it's sneakers, it's all the things that we all love. Um, and even when you were at BR, I remember the week or so before you started at BR, I talked to you on the phone and you were hyped about it, right? And at one point, you know, obviously BR is very corporate America, but it was, you know, it went from small website to corporate America, huge audience. They're doing cool things on social. So you're excited about that. What gets you excited about this? And then what I just defined as the movement. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the movement, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a moment in time. Maybe it will last. We will obviously take marketing dollars that are, you know, earmarked for 2021 or 2022. But I, I think the point is that we, 
we're looking long term. We want to be yeah, entirely for sure. For sure. sustainable. This is not a sub brand. This is not part of something bigger. This is the company. This is what this is what we're doing. I think from a content side, I mean, two things. Like one, I, on the men's side. Slam was what was so cool about Slam Burton was that we didn't like really follow conventional rules or I mean, maybe now they're doing it. They're still just doing a a great job. Now they're a little more corporate, too. But like we could really do whatever the hell we wanted. And it was basketball and we weren't it's lifestyle. We weren't like so beholden to rules at most other men, you know, general sports sites. We don't even really have to say men's most general sports sites are men centric. Uh, a lot has been done. It's a little hard to be original. So again, just the fact that like, I mean, I'm a guy that if you t- spoke to me a little before Slam, like I would have told you I was going to be the sports editor of a newspaper. Right. Like, I wasn't thinking of, you know, TV or whatever. Like I'm a meat and potatoes guy. <laughs> like in some ways, my dream job is still to be the sports editor of, you know, the Washington Post or something. So we just providing like that's what sports news like i love everything extra i like documentaries i like fashion shows the tunnel all of that is dope of course these athletes are more than athletes but like in my core i want the news so that alone the fact that like building that is my job is very cool you're not going to find a general sports site that hasn't mastered the news by now and if they don't do it that's a strategic decision because 500 other sites are already doing it so that's number one like again the basics number one is that they want to actually do the news they want to actually cover (laughs) women's sports the way and and with the emphasis on sports. Yes. When, and, right. and and my expertise and my experience and my love of that type of information is actually really valuable at just women's sports. Sure. Number one. Number two, I mean, for that that number two is a parallel to slam or bleach report. We get to be creative, we get to build off of that. We can get access to athletes. I just think we have a we have an ability that outstrips the size of our outlet. Again, I think on a general sports side, creativity is hard to come by. Access is hard to come by. Like it's just a blanker slate. I have ideas both in my head and increasingly at my elder age, ideas on people that can go come up with great ideas. Like maybe some of the concepts we do in audio and video, uh, pregame shows, whatever. We've got a lot of ideas. Maybe I'm not going to be the one always coming up with them, but I'm going to find the people. So, you know, I love identifying talent. I love hiring them, working with them, putting them in a position to succeed. And we just have such a, there's so much open space. So that's really, it, it was like Slam had open space because of just the mood of the the attitude of the brand. You know, there were plenty of places covering the NBA. We just did it different. And then, you know, Bleacher and Fox, way more just in a certain structure it's hard to it's hard to really move the needle they're obviously a big audience but like you're going to do things a certain way and then this is more akin to slam in that uh, there's just not a lot of rules we have to follow and we can provide you know value in so many ways and and that speaks really to my experience yeah so so a little more on your experience You, you mentioned identifying talent like talk about when you say when I introduced you as the head of content, if we were at an industry event and I was like, this guy's the head of content and we're talking to somebody who has no fucking clue what that means, right? Yeah. Doesn't work in media, doesn't work in content, maybe works in sports. And you were to give them the top level, this is what a head of content does. 
define that for me. I mean, you know, with the exception of some branded campaign, certainly sure. ads are not me and branded is going to be collaborative with the, the sales, the sales yep. department. Yep. Yep. But anything you listen to, watch, read on our website, on our on various audio platforms, on various video platforms, or any of our social channels, like that's my responsibility. That's, yeah, that's the, content. Talk, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. But talk about like, what does that mean? Are you building the structure and the strategy? Like you said, what, oh, yeah. what, what are your roles? Like yeah. part of it, like you said, is identifying I, talent. Yeah, I talent think it's- in front of the camera and talent behind the camera, right? Is that, yeah, both, uh, right? both. More so behind the camera. Like sure. I, if, if we need to hire someone for a new show or a new audio podcast, probably that's going to be our supervising producer is going to do it. So I had to get the right- person in place to in that producer role if we want to go hire social contractors like i might know some people particularly from the br days but that's probably not going to be my hire that's going to be the social leads hire um editorial we have a great editor-in-chief we have a great managing editor i mean they know what they're doing but i'm just gonna coach them up a little I have my own writer contacts, just little tips for. So the you're, site. you're more GM than coach, or you yeah. coach at this? Like a what little would be, more GM, right? A little more yeah, GM, more, right? More, like building the team, right? Yes. That, that's that's what that's the core of what I'm trying to get. Yeah, at. someone sorry, who doesn't yeah. GM, yeah, someone who doesn't understand content or how a site gets built, like it's it's top down, right? Yeah. Obviously, it's like you're. Yeah, you're not every day dealing with the social team, but like, okay, I got the right social person in place who's running that part of it. I, for example, like I do not have the social passwords. (laughs) I asked them if they wanted me to, and they were like, not really. And I was like, that's the right answer. Right, right. right. Well, that also, I think that's indicative of where they're trying to go, right? It's not some, it is a startup, but it's like, okay, we got a team in place that handles that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Get it all that stuff. You and I go way back. I want to touch on slam days. I want to touch on, I mean, I, it's hard for me not to gravitate to basketball, right? Like I, I think that's, you went from slam, which was like primarily print 1997 print only. Probably. I, I don't even remember what year they launched the site. Probably 2000. Lang probably, Whitaker 2000. Yeah. Lang 2000. And then like evolution into social evolution into daily social evolution into video which is probably daily for them all that stuff i'd love to hear that evolution of slam from what we knew it to be especially for me like 97 i'm in high school so like posters on the wall all that stuff to what slam is now we don't have to concentrate on slam specifically but how that evolution happens i think is more interesting than anything else and then where we're at like how do you take the lessons from that evolution and apply it to just women's sports because it's still a startup forget that like putting aside the women's part of it yeah. right like they're still trying to grow an audience right like totally. that's, that's the goal grow an audience like um i i mean i think in the slam case and and probably the i would say the just women's sports case too I, I don't think i don't think either one is has approached it as like a technology play you know for example like bleacher report was all about the app the investment in technology yep, yep, there yep. was massive yep. and the goal you know that our founder used to say was like, I want to be a platform, not a portal. Like, so could Bleacher Report become like the social network of sports? I would say they have, I mean, they are great at social. The app has not become that. You don't go in the app to like hang out with your friends. Yeah. But the point is that that was a tech 
play surrounded by sports. Slam, just women's sports is a little early to call, but Slam, we really followed. We set no trends in terms of type of media, type of yeah, platform. Yeah, yeah. We set trends with our content. Yeah. For better or worse, we were we were like late adapters. We followed the audience. We didn't we didn't create a new medium. We followed the mediums. Print even by 1994 when it was founded, certainly 97 into the 2000s. I mean, magazines were being founded, but their heyday was 50 years before. Like there was sure. nothing revolutionary about making a magazine. We just did it different. You know, we yeah. had attitude. We let players be players. Magazines were still sort of popular. We put in posters. People bought a lot of magazines. Print ads were still a thing. Brands yeah. were like, shit, you guys are cool. We'll buy ads. ESPN.com, I think, started in 96. Slam had like a placeholder site, maybe 99. The first dedicated employee, Lang Whitaker, fall of 2000. I mean, that's kind of late. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but that's where the audience was going. We dipped our toe. As ad dollars shrunk from print, we put them into digital, but yeah. like always a little slow, but then we were good at it. The content was always dope. Same with social. We weren't the first brand on Twitter. We weren't the first brand on Facebook. We weren't the first brand on Instagram. We had no interest in making an app. I'm not there anymore. I do talk to them to the best of my knowledge. An app is not on their roadmap either. Yep. So it wasn't about um, reinventing where people got their news. The, the slam kind of value proposition was the uniqueness of the content. Ours felt different, but you weren't getting it some new place. It's just, oh, we're going to go on Twitter. What are What's going to be different? We're just going to be us. That was different in print. That's different on Twitter. Right. Like, it's just an attitude for just women's sports. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe there will be an app. I think, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, Bay Area, Stanford, tech thing where we might make that shift at yeah. some point, but at least right now, oh, what's your value proposition on a website? What's your value proposition on social? What if you made a print? What if we did a print magazine? What's the value proposition? It's going to be the content. So, so like, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I guess to so my next question. And BR is such the co comparison because I worked in content at a place that was not fully committed to content. I don't know which way is better. Like, right. right. BR is probably worth the most of the three right now, but Slam was content that went where people were. Right now, just women's sports content where people are. BR wanted to change where the people were and then you know, and take content yeah, from on, other places. I guess places. it depends on where you're sitting at the table, right? Like if you're an, if you're cons a consumer that only cares about consumption, you care about the content. But if you're a business person that cares about the ads or cares about like driving people to a social media site, I know BR is not there yet in their app, but like, you know, it depends on where you are yeah. sitting at the table, I guess. So my question would be, I feel like this is overstated all the time and I don't know how I feel about it anymore. The idea that content is king, right? Like that's, that's such an old adage that kind of annoys me now as I like I, I and I don't mean that because I don't care about content you know I'm a yeah. con I'm not a content creator and that I'm creative but I put together deals that revolve around yeah. content um you know there's a lot of news today about Vince Carter's film that's coming out October 1st like that's you know a deal I put together and I'm very proud of it but I hate that term and as a content creator and as the head of content 
Do you think it's overused or do you think it's not applied the right way? Like, I just don't know how I feel. I, and I don't even know if it's because I it's being overused or because there's so much content being thrown at me all the fucking time. Or I'm throwing it at myself because I'm yeah. on my phone on Twitter all day. But like, is it overused? Are we, are we, are we at a place of like, I don't want to use the word saturation, but like, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, it's there's not, too much. It's it, not king. It's like a, like... It's a component, but you can have phenomenal content and fail as a business and you can have right. absolute trash and succeed. So that alone, you know, is proof that that's actually not true. Right, right. You know, like That's fair. <laughs> smart business is king. Right. <laughs> content is right. often a component of it. Um, but I've just seen so many examples kind of both ways that counter it. So yes, I, I would say it's just, it's a, it's a fallacy. I mean, you need, if you're rooted, if you're selling yourself as a place for reliable, great content, like you have to live up to it on a site by site basis at just women's sports. It needs to be quality because that's what we're selling. Right. You know, but another place is selling an image audience, or, or audience, audience oh, right, or, or exactly. Audience, right. so scale, it, you're selling scale. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. So universally, it's a fallacy. Um, in our case, it needs to be true, but it also, there's still a lot of strategy that goes into, you know, you can make something great and if you don't put it out on the right day or the right time with the right copy, like it can, it can fall on its face. I feel like podcast is kind of like becoming a saturated platform. I feel like brand everyone knows about branded content. You're 10, 10 to 15 years behind if you just started to do starting to do branded content. Obviously social is really important for all uh, publishers. Beyond that, where's your thought about the evolution for it doesn't have to just be about just women's sports, but the evolution of content sites and publishers. What what's next for them? What not just from a content standpoint, but from a, I know, I know you're focused on content, but from a content standpoint, but from also from an engagement standpoint and also from a business standpoint, what, what do you think the next like sort of frontier is that's beyond podcasts or beyond social or beyond branded content that helps both the content side of things and the business side of things? Um, I mean, you, I think for one thing, like there's definitely a saturation point and like some I don't know when. I mean, it's it's happened. There have been casualties. Certainly, there will be more casualties. For one thing, like we don't need as many content places as there are. The two things that you didn't touch on, and they're both pretty relevant to just women's sports. Again, in a way that's harder on the men's side. I mean, I think live rights are still pretty yep. important. Yep. And that's something I didn't even mention before. But you know, again, plays into if we want to invest in in the tech on our side, like it's not inconceivable that we could acquire rights to WNBA, to NWSL. So that's very, very exciting. And that is great content. That's dope. And, and I'm with you. I'm sorry, you're right. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there or, or ignore live rights, but you're right about that. And I think the way consumers consume live events now, you yeah. don't buy the cable package anymore. Cor I don't even have a cable package anymore, Cor right? So Correct. yes, that makes so, sense. So I think that that's going to continue to be a differentiating factor for certain brands. And again, even, yes, a lot of people don't have cable anymore. They're not watching it on TV, even on the phone. We've seen studies. You're not watching the whole game. But like, if you can legally share those highlights, chop them up yeah, how yeah, you yeah. want, run a whole game for the dedicated fans, like that's a nice thing that not everyone has. So that's 
you know, live rights are still, you know, is stuff going to stay on over the air? Is it going to go to streaming? Obviously, NFL is king, but I think that WNBA, that market's going to grow. NWSL. I also think micro purchases, right? Yeah, micro purchases. Yeah. So, and then, you know, the, the only iteration off of that, you know, would be gambling slash social integration with yeah. with live broadcast. So I think that the people that have those game rights, I mean, maybe you could name a league, a minor league, men's league, women's league that just is below the bar, but any league, regardless of sport, but there are a lot of properties around the globe that have an audience. So who's going to have those? That's a great thing for a media company. Yep. And then which of those are going to be creative in what they do with them. How do they chop up micro purchases? Can you bet on it live? Can you chat with your friends on it? Is it second screen? Whatever. So yep. I think that a frontier would be a strong word. Obviously, tons of places are already toying with this, but I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of work still to be done around once you own the rights, what do you do with it? And how does that separate you from those that don't have Yeah, them? and I think that you mentioned stuff that like, younger people how they're consuming like the idea of like can i chat while i'm watching this on some interface right like a twitch type uh, live stream like so yeah stuff i don't think about i think about old school like oh go get the live rights for some league and then have the league throw corporate dollars your way the way you know the nba works or the nfl works but that I, i completely agree with you like live sports is a huge one and that'd be dope if you if you guys get that, like it would be awesome. It would it would be super. Like I I don't know if you follow Buzzer, but that's a new app that like I yeah, yeah like I download it, I follow it. They got the deal with the WNBA. Bohan, Bohan's my dude. Like yeah. my dude. Um, I think Slam is involved too. Somehow. Yes, probably. Probably Bo's Bo's great great human being. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll make that connection down the road. Okay, so. That's dope. All of this stuff is dope. I tried tried to talk about Slam because I was trying to find a way to tell a story uh, that I think is super fucking entertaining. Um, So Ben and I go way back, 1999, et cetera. We were reminiscing about 2013. Um, I didn't remember what year it was, but... 2012 was the year that Wade signed his. So so backtracking, I did the Wade leaning deal to the October 10th, 2012 was the announcement. And I throw this crazy ass party in Houston, all-star weekend with leaning's money, obviously. And Ben was just reminding me about my heyday of being... I'm a little wild now, but but not like... Burton, like how... I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but like (laughs) if you worked in basketball... You know, All Star Weekend is a thing. Like that's a cliche, of course. But right. like, you know, I'm in my twenties. I'm working at Slam. Like, it's not like we try. You know, we weren't like beat writers. We weren't on the road that right, right, often. Right. You know, like maybe a finals game. But then we get to go to All Star every year. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> free just kicks parties. Free right. kick, people want us at shit because we're cool. You right, bar- right. You didn't even barely had a phone, but like in the early days. So what I was gonna like. I mean, I was at a lot of fucking all-star weekends. That's why the years blur together. Sure. But put certain parties stand out. Yours yours is one of them. But what I was going to ask you was like, did you, I can't remember, you know, if you were with Slam or like, were you at a bunch of all-star weekends in the, in the 98 to, well, there was one, not one in 98 because a lot. Not one in 99. Not Nin- one in 90, 98, 99 was a lockout. 98 was New York. Right. Slam, Jordan, Slam, Jordan. 
Jordan. The crazy shit is that the best party, I think, of that weekend was Slams. That's how kind of small it still was. Yeah. It was Slam and Double XL. It was Sunday night. It was at the Sony building. Biz Marquee, RIP, was the DJ. Mike Tyson was there. Chris Weber with Tyra Banks. A bunch of players. So, like, like, as that All-Star Weekend was small enough that the biggest party could be a slam double XL joint to whatever it's become now is right. like out of control. But so 98 to 2015 or 2007, 20 years. Did you, how many did you go to? I only missed two. Okay. So you were at all the ones I was at, yeah, no matter who you were working for. Yeah. There was a lockout and then there was a, 2014 was in New Orleans. I, I didn't. I couldn't get there. Me I neither. got snowed so, in. I got snowed in too. That's what I was about to say. I got snowed in to the point, like it got so stressful trying to find a flight. I just gave up. Yeah. Um, and in 14, I wasn't doing anything. Like I wasn't throwing an event. I wasn't like doing, you know, half of the battle is like just networking, right? Yeah. Or not the battle. Half of the fun is just networking and having a good time. But I've been to everyone minus two okay. right um so sorry so that was the context like why we were why we were both there i was at slam you were at leaning but yes proceed yeah. on your own podcast well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell that it, it, it I was one of the way more, to tell the story i'm trying to figure it out um yeah what was it a Dwayne way like uh it was a shoe release yeah so we we signed wade in uh, october of 2012 we did the launch party for the first ever way of wade in 2013 obviously great platform right all-star weekend do the do the party announce yeah. the shoe all that stuff like we did we didn't throw a party we did the same thing for aaron gordon in 2020 when we announced it 361 uh, he signed his deal in september but we didn't announce it till february during all-star weekend um, so th that was the plan. Huge party. We had fish tank. We had TI perform. I was telling the story. I had to pay TI 50 grand and single dollars. Uh, I had to walk to the car and do it. I, I had to be the duffel boy that night, but, uh, dope party. It, 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 it was like in gout. Like, why was it one hour from Houston? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't remember. It just was a huge, oh, here's all I remember. It was a huge space that we built out, right? Because it was very custom. We had food there, kitchen. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Wang was, uh, Eddie, what, what's Eddie's name? Um, Eddie, that does the Fresh Off the Boat. He was like one of the- Eddie Wang. Yeah, Eddie Wang. He was one of the guests, like celebrity chefs and stuff. Yeah, and I so, did. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, that, but that, see, before I get to that, so that, it was an hour out of the way because I think it's the Chinese and Burton from New York planning a party. Neither one of us know Houston, right? Yeah. So like we found the biggest space that we could build out and that was a mistake. Proximity matters during All-Star Weekend, as you know. Yeah. Proximity matters in it life, was the right? It was Friday night, right? right? Yeah. But I also did it on Friday night because I didn't want to compete with Jordan or any of the other parties. What I've learned about All-Star parties, and that was a really good night. That was common TI. I had a really good time at that party. I have a million stories that we'll reminisce about. But what I like about industry events now, and this could be old age, and I try to tell young people this, and I don't know if you, I know you mentor a lot of people, and there's so many like Ben Osborne, like disciples, <laughs> like, you know, whether it's Leo or Jake or uh, Abe, like everybody's a Ben Osborne disciple. So you and I have the same approach when it comes to younger people in our industry. I'm gonna ask you about that in a second. I really take a lot of like ownership of that relationship, and I try to like, coach people up because quite frankly people did it for me like yeah. you know i wouldn't be anywhere with a lot of people that you know like people that i worked with at slam 
Um, and even beyond that, just people that took an interest in me and like helped me meet other people and whatnot. And, and I think I do a good enough job of owning the relationship and networking. But what I try to tell all of them is, and you were talking about being in your 20s, going to these parties, like, that's dope, right? Free drinks, celebrities are there, free gear a lot of times, swag bags, all that stuff. But really, like, take the time to walk away with one really dope relationship. And I don't even mean it at the party usually, usually the weekend. Like, find a dope, I can't tell you how many dope relationships that I've made at All-Star Weekend, but just at events or just a or just working on a project with someone, and then it leads to business, but it also leads to, hopefully, a, a personal relationship. Like, you and I are friends. Yeah. Like, like, I consider you one of my best friends, and you were at my sister's wedding. Like, it matters to me to have a real relationship with people. So what is some of the, like, the thing I, the number one thing I tell people, I guess there's two things. One, be curious. Like, actually be curious about the industry you're in. And then the other thing is, like, be real to the relationship. Like, don't, it's not, Ben, hey, I need this from you. It's, Ben, let me learn from you. That's the curious part. And then it's also like, Ben, like, how can I help you? Or how do we keep a real relationship going that's not transactional, per se? And then eventually when you become real friends, then you can ask for Exactly. Papers, right? Uh, like, I asked you to be on this pod. It wasn't a hard ask because we're friends. Um, also, buying dinner doesn't hurt either, right? But, like, what's, what's your advice? Like, you have – I know you have disciples. I've talked to a lot of a lot of your guys. But what's sort of the guidance you give them? What's one or two pieces of advice that you're like, this will help you in your career long term? Um, I mean, one thing – I guess it's a, it's, a, it's a take off the be curious, but it's really, like, try and remember – things about people yeah um you're not going to remember like it, uh, their whole bio but you know you'd be amazed how many conversations i'll have that just focus on like their favorite soccer team or their favorite football team or right. where they went did they go to an interesting high school did they go to an interesting college like i love that type of minutia like we all have our own and and i'm talking really w whether this makes me shallow like this is just reality like i see the world largely through a sports lens so yeah i'm not talking about like i'm not talking about like who their favorite band is or like what academics their school was this is all around sports basically right. did their high school win a state championship do you remember some player that played there you know are they a fan of like a lower division soccer team for some family reason. Like, I love that, you know, they're from DC, but they root for a team from Seattle for some weird reason, like shit like that. Um, people like talking about what's unique about them. So if you can remember, again, we're all working in sports. So you, again, it's not like- That's a networking trick. What you're telling them is a networking trick though. Like you're trying to like trigger an emotional response by having, like while you're having a but conversation. But for me, it's not that much of a trick. Like I, like that's fun for me too. Like right. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, when I, I guess it is a networking trick, but like it's something that it's how I like- kind of i don't know i i it's the baseline I, for having a real conversation correct, too, right yeah correct because it's like, personal it's exactly not, right. exactly and and when you're meeting a lot of people like that's just i don't know that's something that i i have i mean i have given that advice and i didn't i guess advice is network i don't know i didn't that makes it sound smarmier but um it's kind of just life and sports advice i guess um i mean other than that like 
you know, I think on the, you, you've been a little more on the business side of things. Yep. You're creative too. You're making a podcast, you know, you've hired writers, but like you've been more on the money-making side and maybe what I'm about to say is a problem there also. But I think on the artistic side, like just deadlines and professional behavior can yeah. be an issue at times. So, sure. you know, some of my advice can be very, very basic, Burton, but it's just like, no, but it's good get sound your advice. Shit, get your shit in on time. Show right. up when you're supposed to be there. Like, I don't, I feel like a lot of my kind of climb was just because I was always where I was supposed to be. So, again, maybe when there's dollars, bigger dollars at stake, that might be less of an issue. I'm sure people on the sales side have their own problems or things to work on. But I think that, you know, you, you'll get people that are just feeling themselves a little too much on like the I'm an artiste and, you know, it's like, okay, yes, you are. But like, we're not, it's not, the, the payoff is not worth it. Like you're going to yeah. find yourself out of, out of work. So how do you, so this is a good transition to something I definitely wanted to touch on. How do you balance your, your end of things versus my end of things? Like, we got to work together, right? Yeah. Like, you got to work with the, the the sales department. I got to work with, you know, hopefully you and I are going to do a project together in the next couple of years that we can point at and say we did that shit together. Yeah. How do you balance a guy like me, right? I, I'll tell you how I balance a guy like you uh, or, 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 or the artistic side or the creative side yeah. or the people like you. I don't want to just say um, the guy. Uh, I, I try to identify... First and foremost, I try to identify the talent, right? Like, this person can do this job. And then I try to stay the fuck out of the way, except when there are moments where it's affecting the business side of things, the timelines, the, you know, if a brand is involved and brand, and I promised X to brand, then I got to do X. Um, and I think I'm reasonable in what I promise. Like, you know, I will always say to a brand, I'm never compromising the content. I'm just not going to do it. It's not going to work otherwise. And it's bad for them, like yeah. the brand. And that's my, that's literally my method here. Like I try to stay out of the fucking way. That sounds easy, right? What I just said sounds really simplistic. But what if I don't stay out of your way? Like how do you deal with a guy like me knowing that I'm trying to generate revenue? Or where's that balance, I guess, and maybe the more ambiguous way of saying it? I think that for the bigger places that I've worked at, I don't know what the right answer is because I was a little far removed from the process and thereby resentful of what I was asked to do. Right. As opposed to certainly at Slam and now in these early days at Just Women's Sports, like... I'm far more involved from the beginning. I am on many of the initial calls. I'm not like doing the deck, but I'm reviewing it. Like a lot of what they're pitching is what my team's already making, or if it needs to be custom, we will brainstorm as a group. If I'm in it from the beginning, well, what complaint do I have? Like, right. First of all, but certainly by this age, like I understand you got to keep the lights on. So I'm never going to be disrespectful to the sales department. But as far as what we were actually executing on their behalf, if I'm in it from the beginning, like it just feels very collaborative. And even if truth be told in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't buy that. I hope they don't buy that. Like 
I fucking agreed to it. Right. I might have even suggested it right. to, to get a deal. But that's so situational. Like, You're in a so, good situation now. You're in a great situation yeah, with Slam, when, right? When, when there's a lot of people and then the ones, you know, even though I was editor-in-chief at Bleach Report, there's still like a lot of layers between me and sales. I'm not going on sales calls. We just end up getting a list of deliverables and it's like sure. a game of telephone and it's like what we said we were going to do and what you sold are like very out of whack. Right. I mean, that's really frustrating. I don't I don't know how to deal with that. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'll give it to you from my side. The problem is that with the list of things you say I can sell, they're not toasters, yeah. right? They're ideas and yeah. they're content. Yeah. So when I'm on a when I'm sitting face to face or on a call with the buyer yeah. and I get the sense buyer wants that. Yeah. Buyer you said to me I can sell yellow. Yeah. I sold mustard. <laughs> exactly. Right? Because I knew he was going to buy mustard, right? Like, yeah. it's things like that that yeah. just kind of come up. And yeah. now you're mad at me, but, like, yeah. I'm but saying... That's, but, you know, I'll, I'll, you're paying me more, so, like, you just suck it up. Like, there's probably not a... Per, you know, you can't bring, you know, a giant sales org cannot bring a giant content org to a meeting. Right, <laughs> you know, right. a teeny sales org can bring a teeny content org to a meeting. There's more fluidity in smaller yeah. teams, so, obviously. So, again, that in my you know in my experience the the former is just easier and look i think there were i think there were people at slam that sometimes resented what was happening and sure. i thought but i thought that was a little silly because it's like guys we're we're a small group like if you don't if you don't have a grasp of what might get sold like that's kind of on you right like we're right here you know right. so i i i I would get frustrated, but I just, I felt like I was in the loop and that's what I'm aspiring to have here. Um, you know, I mean, I guess I'm about to write myself off of being hired at super giant media companies, but I don't know the answer at the biggies other than that. Hopefully these content people are being paid well enough to like suck it up. But yeah. I think again, it becomes a game of telephone and then that's when the creators get resentful. But if they're in the loop from the beginning, like that's just it can work. That's part of that's that's part of it. You know, yeah. you just gotta be upfront from the from the jump. I don't know if you know I'm a big gambler. I love gambling on sports. Um I don't know if I knew yeah, that exactly. I like gambling on NFL, college football, love the tournament. Uh, NBA a little bit. I don't like gambling on the NBA. I know too much about guys in the NBA, meaning like they take days off. Like I don't mean I know who's going to win. Exactly. But like, you know too much to try. Like you, trust, you right. know, you know, right. you know enough that you know. Yeah, no insider trading is yeah. more like I know that you God, know how scary it would yeah. be to bet on this game. Right. Right. Exa yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because like, dude, just. You know, it's 82 games, guys. And I, and I guess I, I, I can I, translate this. This is probably why I don't bet on baseball. Same thing, right? I can imagine I'm tired. It's Tuesday. And I got to play a baseball game. No thanks, right? Yeah. Um, but where I'm going with this conversation is where do you see the game? I know you mentioned it. That vertical with women's sports and just women's sports. Like, how do you see growing that vertical out? Like, what I've noticed in the space, and I follow not just sports gambling, I and I follow the legalization about uh, around it. Like, I think it's so interesting. Uh, New York just got legal, and, and, and they actually think mobile gambling will be available to New Yorkers in January. Um, we'll see. Um, 
what I find interesting about it is the content that is now being put out. There's a lot of content on FanDuel. There's a lot of content on Fox Sports. There's a lot, and, and in fact, what I find interesting is there's a lot of women leading that content. A lot of women talking about you should bet on this, and you know, yeah. micro betting, like you know, the the Padres average four and a half runs or whatever it is. Where, where do you see that vertical fitting in as a content person, as the head of content for Just Women Sports? Where do you see that fitting in with you guys? Um. I mean, I'd like to be a leader in it. You know, I mean, ba- baby steps. We, we've we've run some. We have a text piece up today, preview for WNBA. You know, we got some WNBA playoff picks. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we we did an intro to WNBA betting the other day. So we're going to run it throughout the WNBA playoffs. We'll probably do a little on NWSL playoffs. Um, I mean, this is. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into like industry and business things, but this is what I'll say. I I don't think this is, this is not a secret, but it it has surprised me a little. I thought as we approached, as just women's sports approached betting operators, pitching, we want to be the go-to place to bet on women's sports, like back us or give us a a, a good affiliate deal. Um, It's like people are hanging up on us, but they often wanted to know like, okay, like, and what do you do around football or, you know, and it's like, we don't, co- we just cover it. They're Burton. They're still, and I had some deeper conversations that I think that even a baseball outlet might get some of this or even basketball. There's still so much like in the operator's mind. And they're probably right. This is what they do for a living. Like there's still so much money to be made off the NFL like they don't even yeah. so not to say like it's where they invest all their money right like the cor- advertising dollars yeah partnership. yeah for sure I, I run into that all the time too yeah so i the, maybe i was naive i just didn't realize the degree to that at least in 2021 so it, it's not going to be like i, I don't see a, a of uh, happening very soon where like we could get paid a lot yep. to make it so we're going to have to do it from the content side but I do think that there will be value if we could become the smartest place for women's sports content. I 100% agree with you, and yeah. that's my prediction. My yeah. prediction is as you guys get better at it and become very good at the sports gambling side of it, you will get that operator partner in. Because yeah. it re- I, to me, the football mentality, I actually – understand why right it's easy to bet on one I mean, game didn't they say on i think the first week of the nfl was like the most money ever bet in one day ever because like we're still in a case where like every month new state new market new state, is yeah, opening yeah, new up state, new state legalized a new market opening up that's the reason why they they hit those numbers um that's right but i and, and it's easy to bet on the easy is the wrong word it's um, more social to bet on the NFL because it's one week. Everybody likes it. Everybody comes to your house. You go to the bar, whatever it is. The NFL works that way. It's yeah. the reason why they sell beer too, right? Yeah. And chicken wings and all that stuff. But I'm going to say there's a huge market out there of micro gamblers, number one. Forget men's or women's, just micro gamblers. And then more so, a huge market of gamblers out there that are down to identify new sports to get involved in and i think that's where you guys are going to win my prediction is it's going to be huge for you guys huge right like and and that's coming from a person who's i don't want to say i i'm not an expert i'm just studying it this is this is a super interesting bet on WNBA yet i have bet on WNBA, um and i want to say this in the most diplomatic way it was 
because I am a micro gambler, right? <laughs> like I like didn't have I was like up 500 bucks for the month or something and I was like I didn't have anything to bet on and I was like I don't want to bet on this baseball game and so I just put 50 bucks on a WNBA game. So like I think there's a market for this. I think there's a growing there's going to be a growing market for this. I I, I truly my prediction is that. I I saw this in the trade news that you guys invested in sports game. I, I I think you made some hires or or maybe it was talent hires, but immediately when I saw that, I was like, this is such a smart move. Like, that's my prediction. I think this is going to be huge um, and huge in ways that probably rivals what you said about live sports. Like, there's so much out there in live sports for women's that is not being identified or monetized the right way. Yeah. So I, I, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about just women's sports. I am a fan of where the market is going. As you know, I'm a fan of yours. You're my homie. So I appreciate the time, the energy, the friendship. I want to kind of end on, you know, something. Otherwise, I'm going to talk to you all night, yeah, right? Yeah. And we and, and I think we have some wine to drink, so yeah. I'd, I'd like to consume some some wine be, before that. What I wanted to ask you is like, I, and I I touched a little bit about like what advice you give, but like holistically, from a sports side of things, I guess from a sports media side of things, you know, what's sort of an inside thought? that someone who doesn't work in sports um, might not know. Like, I often say this. I often say, it's fun. I Like, listen, you have to have passion for sports to work in sports, right? And that's dope. And a lot of times, I'm very proud of, like, the work I do, and I'm very proud of, like, going to work every day. Like, m most days, I'm in a good mood about it. But I often say this. It's not as cool as people think it is, right? Like, wearing a credential, walking it, being three feet away from LeBron James is dope sometimes but sometimes you're tired it's tuesday night why am i at this game right like especially when i was working a lot of nick games back in the day so i would say it's like driving a ferrari like it looks cool but it's not as cool as you think it is i'm not telling you to tell i know that comes off as negative and i'm definitely not trying to but is there something about working in media or sports because you if i looked at ben osborne's resume and didn't know who ben osborne was i'd be like this guy's had the illest, <laughs> illest life of his ever right slam which was dope, and it's in its heyday, and I'm not saying Slam's not in its heyday, but in its heyday, to BR, in its heyday, huge company, to Fox Sports, to now a great startup in a, in a time where we need that kind of content. So ill, ill, ill. But like, what's something people wouldn't know about sort of your process or your career? I mean, I think it transcends. The fact that it's sports has a... It makes it sexier, maybe, because we have there's all these sports fans that don't work in sports, but mine is more that, like, and I don't know, I don't know enough about your family all the way, but I'm guessing that they didn't envision this for you. <laughs> they definitely not, did. Not that I, I don't know what I think my parents did because Burton, this is the crazy shit about me, and so I would say this to anyone, whether it was music, medicine, like. I knew when I was like 12 years old, like yeah. I can't, I can't envision anything else. For me, it was sports. It's the purest thing. I loved it from, it's all I read when I was a kid. Yeah. So it's more, and it's fine. People, some people decide their careers later, but I do sometimes meet young people and they're like, I already think I want to do this. Is that bad? And I'm like, it's not bad. Like right. you have a leg up. Like I can't imagine working in anything else like i just can't that's dope that's dope you and i had a different career path i 
evolved into what this is that I do now, right? Yeah. Selling content and, and working with brands. And I mean, follow your passion is like such a corny thing, yeah. but like, um, but it's if real, you're, man. If you're, it's real. If you're if you're pointed at something, like, why not follow it? Like, yeah. don't don't fight it. Yep, yep. Um, okay, I know you're not a self promoter, but tell me where I can find you on socials or where people uh, can find you. Yeah, I mean the the Twitter, and Instagram, harken back to my uh, my Marinick High School uh, quarterback number seventeen. So B Osborne seventeen on Twitter and Instagram, and then you know if you really want to help me out. You really should be following, you know, Just Women Sports, just, stay, just W Sports on Twitter, Just Women Sports on Instagram, and really maybe most valuable, come to JustWomenSports.com, yep. news every day, increasing amount of podcasts, video content coming, uh, NWSL, we're going to be out in Portland for the championship game, doing some live stuff there. So, I mean, it's just a place, like we are growing, you know, like come grow with us. Like I can't speak for five years. Maybe we'll, maybe by then we'll be at a plateau. But like, if you come today, you're gonna be like, this is pretty dope. You come in two weeks is going to be better. And in a month, like we are, we are on, we are ascending, like get on now and you will be very proud, you know, where we take you. Not to give you too many props, but they're in good hands with you. So that's dope. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. The Black Box Podcast is not possible without the team. The show is produced by Gotham Podcast Studios in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. Creative Director, Alana Rodriguez. Video Editor, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles. Designed by Lineage Digital. 